This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the world's leading online one-stop shop for all your audiobook needs. It's brought to you by Amazon, and it's for a re- Listen, this was fake to try to trick you into thinking this show is the real deal. It's not. Let's start the episode. Hey, welcome back to Giovanni Andreoli's Movies and More, where I talk about movies and more. As always, this week, uh, this episode began with at least four outtakes of me unsuccessfully trying to pronounce my own name uh, at the beginning of this show. Listen, it doesn't seem that hard on the surface, especially if you're me, but you know what? You know that old riddle about, like, it belongs to you, but others use it more than you do. That's because everyone else says your name, and you almost never say your name. So when I actually have to force myself to say my name, like, to a mic, my full name, it's really weird, and it's, like, kind of unwieldy and uncomfortable, and I don't necessarily like it. Anyway, I'm sure you you uh, clicked on this episode uh, probably for some more quality content like you've been getting for uh, the past, like, nine-ish weeks, because... This is episode 10, and uh, in celebration of actually hitting the double digits and um, and crossing the threshold that most podcasts don't cross, uh, we're doing a very special John Hughes-a-thon. We're marathoning a bunch of, a bunch of John Hughes movies. You're probably waiting for me to, to go back and tie into what I was saying about quality content before. I'm not going to. Uh, do with that what you will. Is this quality? I don't know. You should you should tell me. Please tell me. Like I mean, I always tell you to to let me know what you think and write in the suggestions and feedback. And I know you hear me, but are you really listening? Anywho, let's uh, let's just get right into it. Honestly, uh, I did these notes over my lunch break at work and then a little time after work. So, yeah, um, I've been preparing the whole day. And for the past couple of weeks, kind of low-key, not even really talking about it on the recording, you know? Yeah, yeah, eventually we're going to get to it. But you know what? It's episode 10. It's a celebration. This is one of my favorite filmmakers, so let's make it happen. Enough with the pre-roll. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is my favorite movie every... Mm, I messed that up really bad, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off is my favorite movie ever made. Uh, and here's why. Okay, so this movie is fantastic, and... uh that's it. No, I'm just kidding. So I think that a lot of these movies have very deceptively simple premises. You can basically sum up the plots to 99% of John Hughes movies in one sentence. And um, and I think that's kind of a strength of the movies because they're not really focused on plot. They're much more focused on character, uh, which I think is it's interesting. A lot of the less successful imitators often shoot for a more high-concept plot, um, and then kind of lose what was important about these movies, what really made them special, which is uh, characters, you know? Something like, um, I'm not going to talk about it in this episode because I'm sort of more focusing on the um, like the teen comedies kind of thing, uh, being that I go back to school in like literally a week. I thought it would be a very apt time. Uh, but, like, I'm not going to talk about Home Alone or Vacation or, or other really popular John Hughes movies, but but I'm still going to cite them as an example, at least for this particular point, where something like Home Alone has a, is, again, pretty simple premise, and then stuff that kind of tried to imitate it, something like uh, 
blank check or something. Adventures in babysitting, that kind of thing. Or not adventures in babysitting, sorry. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead that. They go for more outlandish premises that, like, encompass a lot more things, but then sort of miss the mark when it comes to that's not necessarily what the movie's about. It's not really about the the zany plot. It's kind of more about the uh, building character through that. And I think that's a through line through all his movies, in particular these, because, I mean, uh, just to talk about the ones, give you a little preview of what I am going to talk about, we're going to cover five films today. Ferris Bueller, uh, The Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Weird Science, and Some Kind of Wonderful. All of those movies, I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, uh, a guy, his friend, and his girlfriend cut class to have a fun day in Chicago. A bunch of kids get detention on a Saturday. Uh, girl's parents forget her birthday. Two nerdy perverts make a girl. Uh, and then, okay, maybe not some kind of wonderful, because I'm not actually entirely sure what the plot of that movie is, but we'll get to that in a, in a bit. All in due time. Uh, but for now, I think that's a that's a very important point I'd like to make to set the stage for the fact that these movies have very very simple plots, but in that you can you can explore some really uh, some really well written uh, characters with a lot of depth, and I think that is a shining example of one of the things John Hughes does best as a writer and director. Uh, so Ferris Bueller in particular, I think it might just be my favorite because I got to it first. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's actually technically the best. I think that's inarguably The Breakfast Club. But for me, it's sort of what set the stage for my taste in his movies, which, like, that kind of zany, almost, like, it could be really awkward in the lesser director's hands, but, like, the way it's shot and the way it's edited and timed is, like, it makes it really, really funny and, uh... But I don't know, I think there's a lot of factors that come together that make it sort of my favorite. I, I already mentioned uh, cutting class to to spend the day in Chicago, and I love seeing the city portrayed in, in such a way, like a positive look at a city. A lot of times, you know, media not really portrayed as the best places, especially in like similar coming-of-age stories, like Big or something. That's not really a great look for New York City, but this takes a really positive look at a major metropolis, which I absolutely love. Uh, and then, yeah, I love how it disguises itself the whole time as being just a a comedy about slacking off. And then by the end, you realize it's about a lot more than that, and it means a lot more to that. And it's really got a, an, an important and really resonant, really resonating theme of of finding yourself and, like, becoming your own person and and I think that's really, really important and really well done. So yeah, let's go, uh, I'm thinking kind of character by character, and then I'll highlight certain things that really stick out to me. Uh, uh, Ferris is, is really, really fun. I love his his charm uh, and like his wit and the, the kind of way he lets mm, pretty much everything roll off his back. Uh, I think that's a really interesting character, and I think that Matthew Broderick plays him really, really well. I think one of my favorite scenes with him is in the beginning when he's uh, getting ready for the day and he's getting, like, he's taking a shower and he's calling all his friends and he's changing the the records at school and stuff. The way he plays that when it's just him 
and he's just kind of talking to the camera and, and aimlessly talking about just random stuff. I love how it always comes back to the car. I love how it, like, it's teenage, uh, teenage wants and a lot of, like, teenage problems, and they're delivered really well, and it's really funny. I, I think all of that is, is really well done, and he's a really talented comedic actor. Uh, Cameron is the heart and soul of this movie, and Alan Ruck's performance is really, really good. I, I love how uh, he kind of flip-flops between, like, kind of going along with it and, and having, like, enough fun, but then he also has these moments where you can really tell everything that's going on uh, behind his eyes, like, behind sort of the facade that he kind of puts up. I love the, the added layer of feeling better when he's sick. I think that's really interesting. The scene in the museum, or the art institute, where he focuses on that, that girl's face in the, in the painting of the park, like and and it's sort of showing you him fixating on a detail until it becomes meaningless. Uh, that's a really great, uh, like performance just through his facial expressions, and then that's also I think a really good example of visual storytelling. I think that whole scene is really really good, and of course the moment when he loses it and kicks the the car through the window. That's all really really well done. And I love when when he he gets a moment to shine, a lot like Ferris in the beginning. He's sort of carrying this moment uh, pretty much by himself, and he really sells it. And seeing him fulfill an arc that was... It went from kind of being forced on him by Ferris, like, hey, have this fun, you know, make these choices, until by the end it's something that he's accepted and realized its importance. And I think that's really awesome. Uh... Of the three, Sloane is definitely the most underwritten. She's sort of a non-character, save for one scene where, um, and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually, when it's kind of during the parade, and they're, her and Cameron are off to the side talking about what they're going to do with, with their lives. That is a really, really well-done scene, and it's so small, and it kind of gets lost in, you know, a lot of the more memorable bigger scenes in the movie, like the actual parade and all the dancing, for instance, or, or like the restaurant scene when they go to the top of the Sears Tower, or running through the yards, all that. Those are like big moments for the movie, but I also, when I think of this movie as a whole, I think of all the iconic stuff, but I also think about something as simple as this conversation, and how it in in and of itself kind of encapsulates certain struggles that uh, I know are part of the quote-unquote teenage experience, stuff that I felt myself, like, have a lot of interests, but at the same time, I don't necessarily know what I'd want to stick with for the rest of my life, and and how that kind of whatever career you pick sort of goes on to define you, and just not necessarily be re- being ready to make those kind of decisions yet. I think that's really cool, and uh, it's not anything long, they don't delve into it a lot, but it's a it's a little moment that I think does that that side of where they are in their life really well. Uh but yeah, other than that I don't think she's a she's a super strong character. Out of the three, certainly she's got the least in the movie, but I think she's still really entertaining. Mia Sarah is again also a pretty good comedic actor and uh yeah, she's got this wise beyond her years quality that's really cool. Uh and she fits she fits really well like 
as a girlfriend to Ferris. It's it's definitely what you would envision his girlfriend to be. So that's that's pretty expert casting and and it's a it's a good performance despite not being a super well developed character. Uh, beyond that, everything with uh, with Rooney and. Uh, oh, what's her name? It's Edie McClurg. It's Grace. So, so the principal and the secretary. Man, that is fantastic. Uh, I love, I love everything in the office. I love when she does the impression of him, and it's just kind of like the oh. <laughs> she gives the phone back to him. Uh, when she's pulling the pencils out of her hair, when she, when she, she calls Jeannie a little asshole. That's pretty funny. Uh. The the moment she's talking about Dirty Harry, when uh, when Rooney says about producing a corpse, that's all. I don't know. That's that's really funny. That's that always gets a laugh out of me. Uh, There's certainly an uncomfortable aspect to a lot of Rooney's actions in the movie, given his background. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, just do a quick Google. It's it's not um it's it's not as bad as some of the you know the horror stories from Hollywood but he definitely looked at some very bad things so it's it's kind of uncomfortable retroactively but you know what you could say that for a lot of these movies for one reason or another which I'll get into as we go on but yeah uh but if you can look past that which I think I can it's uh it's a really funny performance, and this is a really great character. Uh, and, uh, yeah, before before I uh, transition, I mean, there's a lot to cover, man. I love this movie so much. I could probably go on for it, or go on about it for an entire podcast, my bad. But uh, we got other movies to cover. This is a marathon, man. We're not wasting any time. But, uh, but, but let's waste a little bit of time real quick, because Jeannie's awesome, and I really love her performance, and uh, just the... The way she's written, like that, the bite and the sarcasm, she's a really good uh, antithesis to Ferris and his like cool demeanor and he's kind of got everything together and she's really still figuring it out. And uh, I love the juxtaposition of those two characters and how their arcs respectively are paid off in in the end when they kind of reconcile. I also would like to real quick talk about a, a fan theory that I, I, I'm not sure if it was a fan, fan theory or if it's something that, like, maybe John Hughes said in an interview, but either way, um, her boyfriend, I'm blanking on the actor's name, is it, is, is it Charlie Sheen? I think it might be Charlie Sheen. Anyway, uh, the, the really strung out, uh, junkie dude who she starts making out with is, uh, because, you know, the whole moment of, like, oh, you know him. Some, somewhere I read about there's a there's like an added layer to his character where he was one of Ferris's friends before and he was like older than Ferris and uh he was obviously going down a really bad path with all the drug abuse and stuff and it ended up taking a really bad toll on him so uh after he graduated then Ferris has you know kind of a new best friend which is Cameron and so he's like okay I didn't help this last guy enough I didn't intervene quick enough. So this time, I, I know I have to. Before we graduate, I need to help him figure out his life. Otherwise, he's going to end up like the last best friend who I failed. 
it it adds a really interesting layer to the movie and in my mind that is the definitive story to this movie uh but i think that's just an interesting extra wrinkle that you could add on uh take it as you will all right moving right along the breakfast club baby this like i said is inarguably the best john hughes teen comedy uh it's not the funniest like so in terms of actual comedy i don't think it's the best but in terms of the amount of different things that it explores, the iconography of it, the uh, the characters even beyond the kids that kind of explore certain aspects of adulthood and how adults look at teenagers, the performances, the writing, the camera work, even, like I said, it's not the funniest, but even a lot of the comedic moments, everything about this movie clicks to such a degree, it's insane. And this movie is absolutely fantastic i always come away a little depressed a little melancholy but i'm also always struck by something new about something amazing in this movie i mean i don't need to tell you that the performances are great you already know the performances are are great i love seeing how every actor seems basically tailor-made to whatever character they're playing and and pretty much every moment in this movie from the kids is perfectly in character and really great uh, moment of of performance from some really young, really really talented stars. Uh, Judd Nelson is by far and away the best, and I think a close second to him would definitely be uh, be Molly Ringwald as Claire. I really like how they're juxtaposed against one another, but how they kind of learn from each other that they both have struggles that the other one's not appreciating to the fullest extent. And I love kind of the the message that it teaches. Where, like, everyone's going through something that you you can't see. And while maybe you guys don't necessarily all like each other, I think, you know, you can learn and grow as people. Because you're having a shared experience. Like, this is... it's it's This movie serves to teach them all about each other. And about, you know, the, the intricacies of the social hierarchy of high school. And the, the problems that they all might be facing that while in some superficial ways different are are a lot a lot of ways are the same and how they can kind of relate to each other and grow and bond because of learning that about each other and i think that's really great i i told i talked on a previous episode about my appreciation for random bits of hospitality and while this isn't necessarily what i was talking about random moments where you're thrown into situations where you have to talk to people that you would never talk to normally can be really valuable and I think this movie explores that really well. Uh, I also like I said about the iconography I just generally like how this school looks how these characters all dress how this the the visuals of this movie are really strong and I associate them a lot with like my in envisionment of like John Hughes uh that era of like a teen comedy like this is maybe the strongest uh example of that just like the strikingness of the school like the red lockers and and like the the instantly memorable ways all these people dress and how like they're using the layers to kind of label themselves and uh how they're all have a very individual look that's kind of instantly classic i think all of that is really really cool and i absolutely love just uh just the way this movie looks uh it's it's all really cool the the adults as well i touched on them briefly before but uh but the two adult characters in this movie are also uh really well developed i think 
um, principal is a, a bit too, like, malevolent, kind of angry from the start. It doesn't really seem to grow and get, he doesn't seem to get more angry. It sort of seems like he is just fed up from the beginning, uh, which makes sense for Bender, but maybe not necessarily all of them. But I do love how by the end he's being sort of taught a lesson by Carl about how you know these kids haven't changed you have and and I think that's really important is trying to to give perspective he says about how he's the eyes and ears of this institution and that that is sort of said almost as a threat in that instance when he's actually talking to them when they're making fun of him it's almost like I heard I know everything about you like I listen to your conversations like I know you know I I know the ins and outs of of like the stuff you say and like I could use it against you if I wanted to but I'm the man of the year I'm a I'm a good guy obviously he doesn't say that but but it's sort of framed more as like I have you know I have stuff against you so don't make fun of me but uh but in this instance it's also like it seems he's been able to listen to them in a in an, a more honest way and and actually understand what they're going through and to keep his his view of teenagers uh, a lot more kind and open than than Vernon's has become over the years because he's sort of lost his understanding of the teenage experience and Carl has kept it and I think it's interesting how those two play off each other and how uh, those those respective perspectives Ooh, that's fun to say uh how they how they contrast in a really interesting way. So, yeah, this is a fantastically written movie. Uh, it's also really well paced. Uh, like I said, it looks great. Uh, there's a lot of shots in this movie that are absolutely fantastic. Uh, the the circular tracking shot around them uh, in the kind of quote-unquote group therapy scene when they're just kind of bearing their souls to each other. That's a really great shot. So, yeah, this movie is... Is, is definitely the best. It's not personally my favorite. Like I said, it's sort of depressing. Definitely don't feel as good as I do after I watch Ferris Bueller. But it's really, really well done. And the writing is great. The characters are great. And it's a, it's a classic. I love it. Sixteen Candles. This uh, starts sort of a trend of uh, the quote-unquote... I said quote-unquote a third time this episode. Sorry. But... uh of of like the problematic John Hughes movie. So I said before about uh, I was talking about how Rooney retroactively given what we've learned about the actor himself since makes parts of the movie a little problematic. That's sort of different. That's something that John Hughes didn't have control over and I understand that. But there are a lot of other elements of his films that he definitely did have control over that it has become pretty pretty problematic as the years have gone on. So, Sixteen Candles is definitely a very funny movie. It's definitely more funny than The Breakfast Club. It's got a more lighthearted tone. It's more in line with Ferris Bueller uh, than The Breakfast Club. But, I, uh... A lot of the ways that like she's treated, it's it's very weird, uh, just in general by, uh, by like the people around her. But and it's not even necessarily that. I think it's more uh, the other character. Oh 
man, I wish I could remember her name, but Jake's original girlfriend, his first girlfriend, before he uh, eventually moves on and and ends up with Sam, she is, I mean, it's not rape, but it's it's very creepy, and it's definitely, like, sexual harassment uh, from, like, the the nerdy click, the, like, the, the way they use her when her, when she's drunk for, like, the, the photo op kind of thing, and I, he even says I'm breaking, like, a bunch of laws here, but it's still really weird, and it just comes off creepy, it always has to me from the first time I watched it, it's just uncomfortable, because you know that's definitively wrong, and then at the end she's like, oh, it's fine, I, I enjoyed our night together, and I'm like, did you? really, because cause you were drunk, and you were mostly passed out, and then, like, they were taking pictures of you, like, hugging him, but you didn't know you were hugging him, you were, like, drunk, like, I don't know, it's really weird, uh, and this, I don't want to go too PC, but the, the whole thing with Long Duck Dong, and just the, the music cues for him, and the very stereotypical Asian name, it's, Ah, man, it's it's really weird. It's kind of insensitive. Uh, but, I mean, it's all kind of products of how times have changed. I would I would wish, you know, in a perfect world, that one of my favorite writers was a little more ahead of the curve on stuff like this. But I know it was definitely the time. Uh, I'm sure in one of these movies it has to have happened. They definitely dropped uh, the other F-bomb. You know, it's, it's just we've grown as a culture, but it is harder to go back and watch these movies, and while they are still classics, and I do still really like them, just some of the the characters and some of the situations they're put in are are really uncomfortable and have not held up to time. However, Wong Duck Dong is a really funny character, and, um, and yeah, so is the so is the ex girlfriend. Like everything with her and and when she gets her hair caught in the door and all that stuff, that's all really really funny. And and a lot of that stuff is really great. Uh, and even speaking of the nerds, I love Anthony Michael Hall. I didn't really talk about him in the in the Breakfast Club, but he's about to come up in a in a big bad way because we got Sixteen Candles and then uh, Weird Science. Man, he is he is so awesome. I think, uh, he is like one of the most perfect teenage uh like comedic actors that has ever graced the screen it's really really hard to nail uh the like to nail comedy in the way he does where he's got like the nerdy like I don't know that what I'm saying and doing is really stupid and therefore funny and then he can also play like a a really strong confidence of like yeah what I'm saying is really funny and I and I can stand up for myself and that is a really hard line I think to play convincingly and he does it really well and I think he should be commended for that because a lot of these movies would not be as good or entertaining without without him with like a lesser actor so I think he's uh he's the heart and souls of a lot of these movies and that's that's really cool I really like him as an actor and uh and um, all of his characters are highlights for for me for the movies that he's in that was really long-winded. Sorry about that. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's a marathon, man. We can't be wasting any time. Forget that I even said that. Let's keep going. Also, speaking of recurring actors, Molly Ringwald is, is awesome in this movie. She's got really great comedic timing, and she's very convincing as a teenager who 
absolutely does not want to have anything to do with her family. Uh, I'm not saying that that's my experience. I'm just saying I can definitely relate to some of these scenes where it's the the extended family just just saying like the weirdest stuff and being and it's just like what are you saying? Can you hear yourself? Like what are you doing? I, I can I can definitely relate to that. I think everybody can. It's extended family. Uh, but yeah, I love all that stuff. And that that's some of the the funniest parts of the movie for me, definitely. When she when she goes upstairs and her grandparents have totally set up shop in her room, that is hilarious. That's one of the best parts of the movie. Uh, her her uh, cheesy is it her uncle? I think it's her uncle who who's always telling the terrible jokes. Uh, that's awesome. Her brother is really funny. All this just the the conflict with her family and then. Uh, Eventually, sort of the reconciliation, I love, this is definitely my favorite scene in the movie, I love the scene where her dad comes down to talk to her when she's, when she's sleeping on the couch, and, uh, and they have, like, that heart-to-heart about Jake, and man, that is so awesome, that's so genuine, and I love how it's played from both the actors, that really makes me love the dad as a character, and man, that is a fantastic scene, and it's really well written, and it's, it's, like I said, genuine, I don't think there's a better word for it, it's, it's really heartwarming, and I love it, it's one of the best parts of the movie, uh, another part, great part of the movie, I love the, the opening credits, just, like, the, the different aspects of, of high school that it captures, and, and it's a really great score under all the, the credits, that's one of the only opening credit sequences ever that I will watch the whole thing of, just because I, I love the shots. Like, I love everything it tells you about these random no-name high schoolers, and I love the the stomping on the bleachers, kind of in time to the to the beat of the, the music. I love when you pass by the girl with all those pins, and there's the one that's, like, only visiting this planet, uh, and all the shoes that you see, like, just... The, the different fashions, and you can tell the different things about these people before you even seen them. The kid who can't open his locker, and then it does open, and it's, oh, and then when it finally ends, and it's framed, and it says direct, written and directed by John Hughes, or whatever, and it's, um, it's a half frame split between the words and her leaning against the locker, and then the locker closes, and you can see everything in the, in the foreground, Man, that's all really, really well done. It's a it's a fantastic credit sequence, and I I love it. Um, I got a few other things, but I I don't know. They're not super important. They're kind of more nitpicks. Stuff like the nerds that aren't the main characters, like the main kids that you actually spend time with, uh, like Anthony Michael Hall's character. The random ones that wear like this weird underwear-looking thingies on their heads, and they're just like score a direct hit and they like shoot them on the bus with the laser gun thingy i'm like that's no one ever did that i'm sorry i don't live in the 80s but i know that no one ever did that even in the 80s uh so stuff like that just some of the much more broad characterization i i don't know i could do without that but it's still funny enough okay speaking of wearing underwear on your head Weird science. No, it's technically a brawl, but whatever. This movie is whack, and I love it. It's so weird, and it is so funny, and I think it's really great. Oh, da, 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 where to start? 
the hind nord start the hacking in this movie oh my god what is that when it goes to like the skull face and then the skull face opens and i'm like what in reality they're just looking at a bunch of code on a screen like what is this weird colorful light show water slide looking amusement park ride thing where you're going through all these tunnels and oh my god that was ridiculous um that was so cheesy and so 80s and i was like there's no way anyone thought this was what hacking was like there's no way i refuse to believe it but maybe it was i don't know um and then lisa herself once they actually create her all of her powers all the ways she she helps them grow i love the scene where they go to the bar and at first you know it's that thing where everyone's like what are these kids doing in the bar? And then they, like, palling around with them and, and talking to them. Like, and they love the kids. That's awesome. Uh, I, I think that's really funny. Um, I honestly don't have a ton to say about this movie other than it is just generally weird. I love a lot of the, the stuff that she does, like, the comedic set pieces and the way Lisa, like, just totally wrecks their lives. But, uh... But at the at the end of the day, I don't know if this movie is quite as well structured as a lot of the other John Hughes movies. Um, I didn't talk about it much other than dialogue, but Sixteen Candles is also very well written. It's it's got a great pace and a great structure, and her arc is is very well done. And I like that when the movie ends, you definitely feel like this is the ending that it deserved. I don't necessarily know, and I'm about to talk about Some Kind of Wonderful as well. These are examples, both of these movies are examples of movies where I don't necessarily feel that the ending served the movie that built it up. Like The end of this movie is them becoming super confident and showing up these dudes, and then of course they're rewarded with with beautiful girls, because of course they are. That's the only reason women were in movies until like, Mad Max Fury Road or something. I don't know. Uh but but yeah, this uh, this is kind of weird because it didn't really seem like obviously that's not what they create her for. They just create her because, you know, hey, hot women and I wish there was one that would date us. And then it's like teaching them to be more confident, but it's it's not really what the movie was built around where it doesn't seem like they really needed more confidence or that's what they were after or that what she was doing to their lives and how she was changing everything around around them it didn't seem like that was helping them grow their confidence it just sort of seemed like she could get them out of trouble and then just kind of do weird stuff along the way like it was weird ways of getting them out of trouble and then by the end you know they they sort of just get a life and get confidence and I don't think that there was any real moment that that led up to that like if it was them becoming good at being romantic or if it was something like the lesson of the movie was seeing past just women being hot or like just seeing them as objects for you to attain and then actually like learning through Lisa that yeah that's what we created you to be but you've really grown into like a real person it seemed much more romantic focused. That seems to be the lessons that she was teaching them. So I don't necessarily feel that the ending is totally 
is totally justified by the movie that preceded it. But I do think it's still really satisfying, and I love the scene where they totally just demolish the uh, the weird biker tribal gang. I think that's a really fun scene, and it's really well done. And like I said, he's really funny as the nerd, but then he's also really cool as a confident guy who will stand up to a random weird tribal biker gang that just crashed your party in the worst way. Uh... Yeah, and then at the end, when they actually do finally, you know, get girlfriends and and become more fully realized as people, that's really awesome, and I I love it as as an ending separate from the movie. It's it's really good ending by itself. I just don't necessarily think that the ending and the actual story really jive, but both parts of the movie are really satisfying. But that's just my take. I you might feel totally differently. Like I said, you should maybe write in. Again, I know you hear me, but are you really listening? There's a lot of ways to get in contact. Anyway, this is always, this this episode is not just a desperate reach for uh for feedback, obviously. It's also to review some movies, so uh real quick lightning round. Uh I love like I said, I love Lisa. It's a really good performance. Young RDJ is awesome and really cool. Uh the brother the the one kid's brother what is going on there i don't know but it's pretty funny and uh a lot of the stuff with him i i said before about how it's got like john hughes movies have this zany charm where it could be awkward in a lesser director's hands uh well okay so i think there's certain moments in this movie that are just directed in a way that it does come off more awkward than funny uh, usually I can get behind that. Stuff like Ferris Bueller, it's a weird movie with a weird tone and a lot of really odd moments, like the singing telegram or, like, a lot of the stuff with Rooney. Like, that doesn't work in other movies. Uh, but it, it works in that one, and it's kind of this, it's kind of this special instance, uh, where there's a lot of other examples of similar jokes or similar setups where it, it doesn't really get a laugh. And then there's a lot of moments, like, just weird long takes where just the actors would just do something kind of weird. And just the way it's shot, or the way it's it's edited and paced, it just doesn't land the way I think it was intended to. And it's not as big a problem in this movie, certainly. And I don't think it it's uh, a very big problem in either... Uh, well, not either, sorry. I talked about three movies already. So any of the three movies that I, I talked about prior to this one however as we're uh, as we're transitioning into some kind of wonderful because i think i've pretty much said my piece on on weird science this movie is awkward as hell i don't even i don't know uh what was going on with a lot of the a lot of the choices that were made in this movie i just i listen okay i don't hate it like i would watch it again i guess but it'd have to be a really long time. Like, I'd have to be like, it's been a while, maybe I'd judge it unfairly. And then probably watch it and be like, nope, this is definitely the worst um, John Hughes movie that I have seen. This movie was meant to correct some of the wrongs of Pretty in Pink, which is uh, supposedly a very bad movie. I have not seen it. I don't intend to, because if that was supposed to be the worst version of Some Kind of Wonderful, then wow, that must be a garbage fire. Because this movie is okay at best, but like I said, very awkward. A lot of it is just 
really weird and, and not paced well. Uh, and it doesn't come off as funny when I think it's supposed to. Uh, the performances are pretty good. Uh, I think everyone except for the lead, he's a freaking block of wood. I don't even... There's like one moment where he displays an emotion other than... But like other than that, the... the Oh, then I'll be 18, and then I'll be 21, and then when does my life become mine, Dad? Like That whole thing when he's, like, yelling at his dad, that's, like, the only time where there's, like I said, any other emotion than, like, a, a, a human tater tot is a perfect description of him. And listen, I'd love if, or, no, hold on, sorry. Let me backtrack a bit. I could understand if that's the point of the character. It's a deliberate decision because that's how everyone views him, so... And there's a reason. He's just kind of an awkward, weird guy. However, I think it'd be much more interesting if when he was with... Uh, oh my god, I should have done a little more research. Because I don't know any of these characters or their or actors' names. Except for Leah Thompson. And uh, I don't know the actor or, or the character's name. But uh, Casey Jones is also in this movie. Casey Jones from the, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies from the 90s. But, uh, yeah, I think it'd be much more interesting if, if the drummer girl, if maybe when he was around her, he opened up and like, maybe when he was at home, he, he opened up, he had much more of a personality, like in his moments by himself or with specific friends, maybe he had more, more charisma or he, he had more emotions and it was, it was clear throughout the movie that he, he wasn't showing them because of the way he's seen, or or just because he felt awkward around people and he lacked the confidence to to really be himself, that would be more interesting. But it's just so weird and bland. It's almost played like he's like on the spectrum or something. Like he just doesn't. He lacks the like even the ability to have emotions. That might be going a little too far. But it's just it's so weird and awkward. A lot of these moments play out very differently than they were intended to and and you can tell it just doesn't have the desired impact i mean i think it's really well written there's a lot of lines that are really good i watched the trailer before i actually watched the movie just to kind of get more of a sense of what it was going to be like and i think a lot of the best lines are in the trailer i cited the one about 918 when did my life become mine the thing about it's 1980 i don't remember the year but did you know a woman could be whatever she wants like that those lines like that the memorable ones, those are really good, and they're they're shining examples in a script that is full of of lines. I think that are just they just don't hit the way they're supposed to, and and I just don't think that this movie is very well written, especially when contrasted to the other four movies I just talked about. Uh, especially even stuff like the last line, like that's sometimes the stuff you gotta nail the hardest, and. I mean, I guess maybe it's going for something that I just am not tuned into, but like, you look good wearing my future. Like, no one would ever talk like that. Like, this is a writer who I would praise, uh, like, maybe first and foremost for really selling, like, real dialogue and creating real characters. I don't think a real person would ever say that. Like, it's just so weird. It doesn't doesn't sound right. I think it's something more conventional or cliche, someone even like, they look perfect or something, or you look 
you look great, or I don't even know, something to that effect. But like, you look good wearing my future? Like, what does that even mean? That sounds like more of a derogatory comment to someone he doesn't like than like the quote-unquote love of his life. Dang it, quote-unquote again. I'm sorry, I got a problem. Uh, But yeah, and then you want to talk about an ending that doesn't feel like it's fit by the rest of the movie. I did not get that she was into him. Like, I really did not get that through this whole movie. Aside from maybe that one scene where they, like, she's like, you gotta practice kissing, kissing this girl, kissing Leah Thompson, uh, kissing Marty McFly's mom. So, uh, you know, we can practice together. Other than that scene where she, like, gets really into making out with him, I was like, wait, was that what I was supposed to be getting? I thought, because there's some offhanded references to her potentially being lesbian and definitely, like, she's got the tomboy thing going. So I was like, oh, okay. So she, I I just thought she was a lesbian character. I, I don't know why. It was the 80s. Of course she's not a lesbian character. But I thought that's what they were going for. And I thought the reason that she kept, like, staring at Leah Thompson in, like, the mirror, in their, like, the rearview mirror was because she uh she was jealous and like that like she liked Leah Thompson or something and I could sense that the movie didn't seem to be building up to that because I was like how is that going to be wrapped up like how are they going to make all of this come together so I knew it, it probably wasn't going to be that but that's what I felt the movie was building to like and then even stuff like how she's letting that random dude like play with her hair And he's, like, trying to hit on her, and she's, like, not having any of it. And I was like, right, because it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever heard of or read the comic Kick-Ass, but it's a a really bad comic. But uh, there's, the the main character pretends to be gay uh, so that he can, like, get close to his girlfriend, or, sorry, not his girlfriend, my bad, to, like, the girl he has a crush on uh, to kind of earn, like, sympathy points because he's not a very good person. And he, and he, like, gets to be really close to her because she trusts that he's not going to do anything, uh, like, bad because he's not attracted to her, you know, if he's gay, right? I don't know if that, if I'm doing a great job of explaining it, but I I thought it was that kind of situation where, like, she's going to let this dude play with her hair because what does she care? It's not like his, his moves are going to work or whatever. I don't know. This whole, it just played out really weirdly and I I did not understand that we were supposed to glean that she was into him especially because it did not seem reciprocated and scenes like when when she's like I don't think we should see anybody each other anymore or that kind of stuff I felt like that came way too early and was almost totally unprovoked listen if if I've been rambling on about this movie uh, for the the past, like, ten minutes or so, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I would definitely encourage you to watch the movie and see if you see the same things I see. Because I feel like this is, in some ways, regarded as a, as one of the classic John Hughes movies, and I don't think it's deserving of that title. <sighs> okay, one positive thing, though, Casey Jones is really good. I love the scene where he's, like, scratching some sort of, I don't know, probably, like, a skull or, like, die if you touch this desk or something like that into the into the desk in detention while uh human tater tot is drawing and then they kind of like show each other the drawings and they're just sort of homies i was like that's pretty cool i like that a lot other than that though man 
this was a real clunker. Oh, also, real quick, the date at the end, What? what is going on with that? So she's like... It, they like bounce back and forth between in between being into each other and being really angry at each other a lot, and it is so weird, and I do not like it. Also, the comeuppance for the the like douchey boyfriend. Wh- what? What was that? Like he just like brings Casey Jones and all his friends in, and then they're like, "We're gonna beat you up," and they're like, "Don't beat him up," and then they like have a quick like conversation, and then he's like, "I'm gonna stay at this party." And we're gonna have a good time, right? And he like kind of looks to the, like other people at the party. I'm like, what is what is happening here? Like, what is he doing? I don't understand. Yeah, weird, yuck. Uh, also takes place in California, not Illinois. Get that out of here. That's not a John Hughes movie for real. All the real John Hughes movies take place in Illinois. Everybody knows that. Anyway. Oh, uh, also, Drummer Girl is really really good at crying on screen like that is some of the most real crying i have ever seen like oh my god i i would have thought she just like got out of the shower and didn't like wipe her face because that's the amount of like she's really really crying uh in that last scene oh alrighty. so real quick thank you for listening to all that but before i get out of here i gotta do some gratefuls oh dang it I'm so sorry. I'm trying not to be too long-winded, but it's really hard. These Most of these movies are really good. Uh, so overall, I think these movies are really good. Uh, really, really good at tapping into the teenage experience and exploring uh, a lot of different aspects of being a high schooler and a teenager. Uh, there's a lot of very interesting and uh, even sometimes unintentional themes that carry out through all the movies. Uh, I didn't really touch on this before, but... They're a little waspy, uh, just just a just a little bit, uh, and that's fine. But just gotta keep that in mind a little bit, not be blinded to it. Uh, the ways that women factor into these movies is often a little weird, uh, and I don't think the movies ever do a an adequate job of reconciling that the the way that all goes down. Uh, but but some of that you can just chalk up to different times. Certainly, I just watched Rocky last night, and uh, I'll save it for another episode, but, uh, hoo boy, times have certainly changed, haven't they? Um, there's a lot of charming awkwardness to these movies, uh, and, and at their best, it's fantastic, and it's hilarious, and at their worst, it's just that, it's awkward. Uh, but the movies that strike the balance the best are some of the best 80s movies, some of the best movies I think ever made, and... That's awesome. I I love these movies, and I love John Hughes as a filmmaker. Uh, he's a really, really talented writer and a great director, and I will always love most of these movies. So, yeah, fantastic. Would highly recommend. But if you haven't seen them, what what are you doing? Why aren't you listening to this? Go, go watch them. Go home. Movie's over. Just kidding. Movie's not over. Neither is this movie. This is a podcast, and podcasts like mine so just mine, and with Gratefuls, and uh, this week, this week, I'm grateful for mi madre, my mom is awesome, and this is gonna sound cheesy, but she's really, really cool, and she helps me through a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of insecurities with, with school coming up, and uh, starting another, another new school, uh, I'm, 
dueling Votech and high school at the same time, so it's a whole nother group of people that I'm not really familiar with, and, uh, you know, I've got some anxiety about that. Certain things about how my schedule is organized and having to talk to, to counselors and teachers at the school, she's definitely helped me with that and fighting for what I want, and uh, she's, you know, she just generally takes care of me. She's a great cook. She drives me uh, to, to home from work. Takes me and my friends a lot of places, surprises us with taking us to the comic book stores. What? That was a killer move, Mom. You know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, so it's it's really awesome, and it's great to have uh, a person like that who encourages me with, like, with, like the podcast. And uh, even though we don't always get along with uh, each other about movies, she's, uh, she's really awesome, and... I wanted to, to throw her some respect on the pod because I feel like a lot of the comments can be taken a little more uh, in a little more of a denigrating way than maybe I'd intend them to be. So let it be known. My mom is awesome. And uh, thanks for listening. She she was like the third listener. So, yeah, thanks. All right. All right, all right, all right. All right, listeners. All right, everyone. All right. I just want to keep saying all right. But... I'm not going to because this is the end of the show. This is the end of the podcast. If you made it this far, I commend you. Uh, I hope you love John Hughes as much as I do. I hope this episode wasn't too long-winded and it kept your interest. Uh, I hope it did because if it did, that means you've been listening for 10 official episodes plus one bonus episode, which means 11 episodes, which means we have crossed the threshold. We are officially a real-life podcast. We've uh, we've jumped over uh, the hurdle that a lot of podcasts... When they're young, uh, they they really can't. They don't make it past the tenth episode, but we did it. We did it with this official tenth episode. That makes it the unofficial eleventh episode. So we have crossed the threshold, if that makes any sense. And I'm so glad that you've been listening for for almost ten weeks. That's awesome. I can't wait to keep doing this and hoping that you know the podcast keeps progressing and getting better and better. But, uh, you know, I won't necessarily do know what I need to do wrong or what I need to keep doing unless you give me feedback. Uh, so, again, I know you hear me, but are you really listening? Anyway, I'm going to drop that motif by episode 11. Uh, but in the meantime, there's a lot of ways you can uh, give me your feedback. You can hit me up on Instagram at Giovanni... Oh, shoot, I changed it. Sorry. You can sh- hit me up at Giovandrioli, G-I-O-V-A-N-D-R-E. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, uh, one. So, Giovandrioli, one, G-I-O-V-A-N-D-R-E-O-L-I, one. And, uh, if you, if you think that's too complicated, then just shoot on over to Movies and More Pod on Instagram. And if, and if even that's too complicated, if you just don't really feel like being a slave to the social media beast, uh, drop me an email at moviesandmorepod.com at gmail.com. I would greatly appreciate it. I'd love to make keep making the show better, more entertaining, more thought-provoking, uh, and just generally growing as a podcast. So, yeah, man. Let's do it. I I love you. Thank you for listening uh, this far, and I'll see you in the next one. I hope you enjoyed. Have a great day. Uh, don't tape anybody's butt teach together.